It's 4 o'clock and time for the Calvary Live Show, taking your calls and questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady with you today. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, and I'm Pleasure to be able to be here this uh, afternoon, taking your calls and texts today. It's a beautiful day outside. I'm sure many of you are enjoying your drive home. Um, this is the show where you get to call in with your questions and uh, text in your Bible questions or your prayer requests, whatever's going on in your life. We'd like to pray for you and, and help you find the answers to those questions that you have. So I'd like to welcome those of you also listening uh, here in Colorado on Grace FM. But we also want to welcome those on the East Coast. So cool that we get to be broadcast over there as well at uh, Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New New Jersey, and Maryland. Welcome to the program, those of you on the East Coast. And I'd love to get some calls and texts from the East Coast today. So if there's any of you listening over on the East Coast, feel free to call in, text in. Love to hear from you. The number to call is 303-690-3000, or you can also text us your questions at 720-336-0897. So a little church, which is a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church in Longmont, Colorado. Whitefields meets at 700 Longs Peak Avenue in downtown Longmont. So those of you familiar with the area, you probably know about Roosevelt Park. Our church is right on the corner of Kaufman and Longs Peak Avenue, right in downtown Longmont, really in the heart of the city. And uh, we invite you to come visit us if you're in the area. Um, Our church meets at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can also visit us online and on our website. You know, we've got lots of great resources, including articles that we write, and uh, we also have... You can listen to our archive of audio messages, and that website for our church is whitefieldschurch.com. So if you're in the area, come visit us. If not, uh, do check us out online, and you can also hear a show. We have a regular program here on Grace FM. Life in the Field is the name of it, and it airs every weekday at 2.30 p.m. and every Sunday at 10 a.m. So I always tell people from my church that when they're uh, if they hear me on the radio, that means that they better hurry up because they got to get to church because they're late. So as we're waiting for the lines to fill up right now, I just got a few devotional thoughts. Um, once again, those numbers to call in, we've got some open lines right now. The numbers to call in are uh, 303-690-3000 and the text number is 720-336-0897. So just a devotional thought to get us started this uh, afternoon as we wait for those lines to fill up. Now, Friday is my prep day when I'm preparing for church on Sunday. I'm preparing my sermon, and I, uh, I take writing my notes down and studying and praying. And right now, I am studying through with our church. I'm teaching through the book of Exodus, and we're going through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse for the most part. I was at, And so now we've come through what you might call the exciting part of the book, you know, the exciting part of the book is where there's like rivers turning into blood and there's like plagues of frogs and all kinds of stuff happening. And, you know, they're painting the blood of animals on the doorposts and the the angel of death is passing over and firstborn children are dying. So there's there's all kinds of stuff going on. It's really exciting. And, you know, the, God leads them out in the wilderness and he's leading them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then he leads them across the Red Sea and the Red Sea parts 
splits in two and uh, they cross over on dry ground and then what happens is they get over into the other side of the Red Sea they're in uh, the wilderness the desert most likely in what's now Saudi Arabia and then what happens is God leads them to a mountain where he gives them the law and that uh, to many people kind of seems like wow that was a really exciting book until we got to the law but here's what I found and I wasn't sure you know should I keep teaching verse by verse and chapter by chapter once I get to the law which starts really in chapter 19 and goes to chapter 24 and, and then after that there's some other parts about details about how to worship and things like that and I thought I don't know, I might just have to speed through some of this because, you know, these are just old laws and they're kind of weird, like they're what to do if your donkey falls in a pit and stuff like that. But what has happened is I have been just very impressed with um, the law and I've come to see it in a way which uh, maybe was different than what I expected to. And so I just want to share that with you. But we do have some callers and this is a call-in show. So let's go ahead and take the callers. Let's start with Bianca on line one who's got a prayer request. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Bianca. How are you? I'm doing good. I just have a prayer request. I have gone to the dentist a few, um, well, last week, actually, to get some work done on. I had some gum issues. One of my, well, my root was exposed on the top left, and I'm... Ouch. Having some toothache, uh, so I was wondering if you could pray for me so that if I end up going to the dentist, that the dentist can figure out what the problem is, or if it's just something that needs to heal. Or... Yeah, absolutely. Let's pray for you. I'll tell you before, maybe this will help increase our faith, too. I have a brother mm -hmm. in our church here in Longmont, and he had a similar issue with his teeth and uh, you know we were praying for him and he said that he went back to the dentist and the dentist was just blown away by how uh, his gums had kind of grown back and he said it doesn't often happen and so we were just praising God for that so I have faith that God can hear our prayers and that he will do what's right and that he can heal you so let's go ahead and pray for you <laughs> Heavenly Father together as a community of believers listening right now on the radio we agree in prayer and just ask in Jesus name that you would heal uh, Bianca's dental issues you know that, that can be some painful stuff and so Lord we pray that you would give wisdom to her dentist and I thank you that she does have a dentist and has insurance and she's able to go to those things those are blessings from you and I pray you give her dentist wisdom and we also just ask for healing in Jesus name Amen Amen thanks a lot yeah thanks for calling in alright God bless you Bye-bye. Uh, the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us your questions or prayer requests to 720-336-0897. Uh, we've got two open lines right now, but let's go to line two. We've got Nikki in Colorado Springs. Hi, Nikki. Are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Hi, Pastor. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I'm driving, so I thought I would just ask you this question and then hang up and listen for the answer. Okay. But I think of um, the the Israelites and the uh, sacrifices that they took to the, the temple and the priests that um, 
did those sacrifices for them and to the sheer masses. And I'm just wondering if you can provide some insight on uh, how the um, the uh, Levites would have been able to, to handle so many uh, sacrifices coming to them um, at once. And so um, I'll hang up and listen for the answer. Okay, sounds good. Thank you for your call. Thanks. God bless. Yeah. So the question that Nikki asked was about uh, how did they handle that sheer number of uh, sacrifices that were being made in the temple? And the answer is that there were a lot of them. That's how. Um, you know, they had a whole priestly tribe. So the tribe of Levites, as Nikki alluded to, was a priestly tribe. You can read about some of these sacrifices in Leviticus. Actually, uh, you know, it's one of my favorite sections to think about because now, it requires a little bit of study, but when you really study Leviticus, what you see is that this section points us to, it really lays the foundation and the groundwork for Jesus and all that Jesus came to do as the ultimate sacrifice, which is explained in great detail in the book of Hebrews. But uh, there were several different kinds of sacrifices that were made, and they were made on lots of different occasions. And so... I think one of the things that people don't often realize, which is exactly what Nikki pointed out, is that there were so many sacrifices being made, and especially when it came times for feasts and um, you know special occasions where they were making a lot of sacrifices. I mean, just the sheer amount of work to um, to slaughter these animals. Essentially, you know what was happening with these sacrifices. It would be, you know, there would be bulls sacrificed. Sometimes there would be sheep. There would be goats. There would be, uh, you know, sometimes it was birds. That, that would be the kind of provision that was made for poor people to be able to make sacrifices. But I mean, if any of you have ever been hunting or you know how it is when people go hunting, I mean, I mean, imagine what you have to do to prepare an elk. I've never actually done it, but I did take a class on it once. So I, uh, I was actually, you know, really surprised about. You know, once you've actually gone hunting, let's say, and you kill an animal, I mean, all the work that's needed in order to prep that animal and get that meat back to your house and, and do all that, it's a ton of work. And so you had these people, and this is what they would do. They were almost kind of like, I guess you could call them sanctified butchers in a way, because they were, um, they would take these animals, they would slaughter them, they had to be prepared, and, um, and they, you know, all the blood had to be dealt with. Some of them were burnt. So I kind of wanted to just go through real quick what the different offerings were. In Leviticus 1, it talks about the burnt offering. The burnt offering was symbolic of complete devotion, just as, you know, we com as the animal is completely consumed on the altar. It's burned until there's nothing left. And it's a symbol of how we give our complete devotion to God. And it reminds us in Romans chapter 12, that's the image that's being used where Paul says, you know, this is what God asks of you. This is true religion is to give your life as a living sacrifice, to be holy and completely devoted to God. There were other sacrifices. There was a peace offering. There were uh, sin offerings that were made, atonement that was made, very important as a picture of Jesus. There were other offerings that were made where you would uh, have the meat and it would be burned or it would be you know, cooked on the fire in the temple, and then the whole family would uh, eat it together as a kind of barbecue, I guess you could say, sometimes with the priests and sometimes with just their family, and they would enjoy fellowship with each other and fellowship with God. So there were many reasons why sacrifices were made, not least of which being the, the sin and atonement offerings that were made. 
But the answer as to how they were able to handle the sheer volume of it is that there was an entire tribe of priests, the tribe of the Levites, and they were thousands in numbers. And so they had different duties throughout the time of Israel's history uh, from carrying the tabernacle to helping in the sacrifices. So that's how that was done. Let's go ahead and uh, continue. The number to call in, we've got three open lines right now. The number to call in is 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000, or 720-336-0897. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm here taking your calls today. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont. Uh, what I was sharing with you guys a little bit before was just um, some thoughts that I had about the law of Moses as I've been teaching and studying through the book of Exodus on Sunday mornings. And I wanted to share this verse with you that I have has really helped me to get a good grasp on the law and its place in our lives. Because here's the thing, I think that many times people think that the law was uh, kind of God's I guess you could put it this way. It was God's plan A. God had this plan A, like, here's how I'm going to save people. Uh, they are going to follow my law, and if they do a good enough job, then they'll be saved. And then when that didn't work out, God was like, well, I guess I need a plan B. And so he, he said, okay, well, then I guess I'll save people by grace since the law didn't work. But I, what I'd like to show you from this verse in Exodus 19 is that that was actually not the case, that it was never God's plan to save people by the law. But actually, the law was given after God had already brought salvation into their lives. And, and it had a different role that it played. And I'll get back to that in just a second. We've got a caller on line one, which I'm excited about, Patricia from Baltimore. Hi, Patricia. Patricia, are you there? You're on the air. Okay, we'll come back to line one in a little bit, and uh, hopefully Patricia Hello. will be there. Oh, hi, Patricia. Are you there? Hi. Yes. How are you doing? Doing great. You're calling from Baltimore. Yes. I well, was just commenting, wanted to comment on, like, sometimes when people call, they don't need only prayer or only. Sometimes people out in the uh, listening radio audience may be able to help them, like the guy that was that called about his living in his truck. Someone mm -hmm. may have wanted to help him, so how do you go about helping people like that. And also, my question about the Bible is, what country is O-P-H-I-R? Which country is that in the Bible? Can you spell that again? I You kind of broke up on me there for a second. O-P-H-I-R. Othir, huh? Yeah, okay. what country is that in present day? I'm going to look that up for you right now. To answer oh, your first okay. question, um, to answer your first question, uh, how can people help? Say that there is a, a person who calls in and um, they have a need, like you mentioned, a man who called in. I think that was actually last week's live show. It airs uh, a little bit later on the East Coast. But uh, the way to do it, I would suggest, is that you contact Calvary Aurora. They're the ones who operate the station, and they would be able to probably help you uh, get in contact with a person who requested help like that. So I would I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Calvary Aurora, you can Google them or uh, you know just type in the search engine Calvary Aurora, or you could uh, call the 
call-in number, which is 303-690-3000, and you could talk to the station manager, and he would be able oh. to help you with something like that. Okay, thanks. Uh, to answer your other question as to where Othir is in the Bible, I'm doing a search on it right now on my computer, and I am not finding it. So I am not able to help you. I'm going to keep searching that as uh, as we go on today. Do you remember which part of the which book of the Bible you read that in? That might well, help. Well, when Haram uh, brought um, gold and all those uh, gifts to Solomon, they said he brought them from Ophir. Okay, I'm seeing it now. Actually, I I have it in First Chronicles chapter 25, verse 28. It says, the one and twentieth to Othir, his sons, and his twelve brethren. So I'm going to look that up just to get some context so I can find out where that's speaking of. Well, it will be in uh, 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 Solomon, not Solomon, but Solomon. Uh, what book contained what Solomon... Uh... Well, I'm finding his well, name like... here in uh, First Chronicles. Which does talk about Solomon. Okay, okay. So uh, all the gifts that Haram from Tyree brought for Solomon, they came from the country of Ophir. And I wanted to know where was that in modern day location. Yeah, that's a great question. What it's coming up for me as, it's, I'm, I'm only finding Ophir as a person who was uh, listed as... One of the music uh, is one of the families of musicians in the time of David. So that's what I'm finding uh, in First Chronicles chapter 25, verse 28. I'm going to search it one more time and see if I find any other place where it's talking I about. I have one last question. <laughs> okay, go for it. Okay, my one last question is: I think it's Isaiah chapter 4, 11. Oh, what does it mean, those ladies? Is that our day and time when it says the lady said uh, they'll eat their own bread, make their own bread, meaning uh, get, uh, earn their own money to feed themselves and to dress themselves, but they want to be called by the man's name. Is that for us in this modern day, and what does that mean? Well, Isaiah 4.11, I just uh, pulled that up. Well, no, I didn't. Okay, so Isaiah 4.11, there is... Isaiah chapter 4 only has six verses, so um, you might need to check that reference. But um, could you just explain oh, to me real quick? Okay, I think it's Isaiah, uh, oh, sorry. it's not 4.01 then. Okay, it says, Seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, yes. We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes, and let us be called by your name take away our reproach well let's get some context on here this is uh the context for that verse is isaiah and here's what isaiah is doing he's speaking into the lives of the nation of israel who have been unfaithful to god they haven't been following the lord and isaiah is speaking into them and he's telling them to repent and he's telling them if they fail to repent if they don't repent then what's going to happen is that they will bring uh, destruction upon themselves and that God will allow them to be overrun by foreign nations as a as a as a way of judging them as a way of judging them in order that their hearts might 
turn back to the Lord, kind of like that they'll realize the errors of their ways and they'll turn back to the Lord. And so it's describing what's going to happen in those days. So first, to answer your first question, no, I don't think this speaks of today. I think this is specifically referring to a time that has already happened. This was a warning okay. about a time of judgment, and that time of judgment did happen in the nation of Israel uh, when they were overrun, by, first by the Assyrians in the north of Israel and then by the Babylonians in the south of Israel, also known as Judah. And so I... Furthermore, this is a, a metaphorical thing that is saying that these women will take hold of one man in that day. And why will they do that? Here's why. Because all of the men will be, you know, kind of like all the men will be off at war. All the men will be taken away from the land and they will die or they'll be off fighting battles um, and there won't be any men around. And so women, you know, in that society, which was so it was so important to have a husband, you know, there are very few options oh. for women that basically there would be so few men that the women would be fighting over uh, the very few men who were there and asking, you know, to be married to him. Okay, because I don't know whether that was this state speaking of this something coming now, being that it's going to be a lot of wars. Well, supposedly a, another war. Thank you yeah. so very much. Yes, thank you for your call. God bless you, Patricia. Right back at you. Thank Alrighty. you. Thanks. This is Calvary Live, the, call, the show where we're taking your calls and texts live on the air. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, and I'm here on the air with you today taking your calls and questions, answering your, your Bible questions, and praying for your prayer requests. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to line two where we've got Elijah in Aurora with a prayer request. Hi, Elijah. Are you there? Yeah. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Great. What's your prayer request? Um, I have a prayer request to ask for prayer about, like, temptations at school that are really affecting me. Mm -hmm. Also, and I would like to pray for me to be strong in that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great request. Thanks for calling in. You know, one of the promises we have from the Bible is that no temptation has overcome us except that which is common to man, and that even in those temptations, God has given us a way out, uh, which means that he will give us the strength if we ask him, if we seek him, he'll give us the strength to overcome any temptation that might come our way. So I want you to be encouraged by knowing that, and I, I'm glad you called in so that we can pray for it. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we, we as a Again, as a community of believers here up and down the front range of Colorado and out on the East Coast, we agree together in prayer for this young man. I thank you that he had the courage to call in live on the air for Elijah. And we just pray you give him the strength by your spirit to overcome and withstand these temptations. But he wants to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to you. And that's a great thing. So we want to support him in that. And Lord, we ask that you, with uh, all of your power, Lord, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that's at work within us by your Spirit. And we know that that power 
is mighty. And so, Lord, we ask that that same power, that resurrection power would be at work in Elijah's life, giving him the strength to overcome temptations and live a life that pleases you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for calling in. The number to call is 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I'm here taking your calls on and your texts live on the air. This is Calvary Live. Now, before we go to our next caller, we've also got two free lines right now. So if anyone wants to call in, now's a great time. Uh, I wanted to finish this thought that I had earlier. I want to share this verse with you from Exodus chapter 19. I was talking about the purpose of the law and how the law was never God's plan A to save us. And then when that didn't work out, he gave us plan B, which was grace. No, grace was plan A all the time. And we see that here in this verse in Exodus chapter 19. Here's what God says to the people right before he gives them the Ten Commandments. He says, you yourselves saw what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I love that first part where he says that because I've saved you, now I'm offering you a relationship with me. And that this covenant that he's offering them their part in that is to obey him and follow him. You could think about it in this way, that God already saved them by grace, not because they deserved it, but because, um, because he just did it by his grace, because he chose to. And then after that, he calls them to obey. So whereas every other religion would say something like, if you obey God, then he will accept you. Christianity is altogether different because it says God has loved you. He has accepted you. He, he has saved you in Jesus. And now, now obey him. So let's go to uh, one other caller. We have Mike on line three in Denver. Hi, Mike. Are you there? I'm doing good. Hi. Hey, uh, I was wondering about the significance people talk about once in a while. There's blood moons. I just heard it again recently, and I haven't taken any time to really look anything up about it. Uh, what's the, what is the significance of those? Yeah, you know, I am not really well versed in this. I talked with some people recently about this. There were several uh, blood moons. I can tell you what I know about it, but what I know is is not a lot. So here, here's what I know is that there, you know, some people draw a correlation between um, some blood moons that have happened, you know, which is kind of just a occurrence where the, the moon appears red. And uh, they draw a correlation between that and some significant world events, such as uh, in 1967, the Six-Day War was fought, and they say that that corresponded with uh, blood moon. Six-Day War being a war in Israel. Also, in 1948, when Israel was granted statehood, um, that, that was another time when there were blood moons. Um, Let's see, it says in, uh, I'm just looking something up as we talk, but it says in 2014, 2015, a, a lunar eclipse occurred on the first day of uh, Passover and on Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, the Old Testament feast. Uh, in 2015, there were some solar eclipses that occurred. Let's see, uh, and here's where, here's the, the biblical thing that they draw on. It says that uh, 
there are references to the moon turning to blood or looking like blood in uh, the book of Joel, the Old Testament book of Joel. Here's what the verse says, Joel 20, or J Joel chapter 2, verses 30 to 31. It says, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke, and the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Furthermore, in uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 12, uh, John, the the one writing the book, describes one of the seal judgments of the tribulation by saying that there was a great earthquake and the whole moon turned to blood. So, uh, you know, Matthew talks about the moon being darkened. But right now we're going to go to a, a break, and as we're on that break, I'm going to read more about this, and I'm going to give you a really good answer when we come back. So this has been Calvary Live. We'll be back right after the break. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Call us with your questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus right now at 303-690-3000. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont here on the air with you today, taking your calls and texts. This is the show where you can call in with your uh, prayer requests with your Bible questions and you get them answered by a pastor live on the air and I'm pleased to be with you here today. Welcome to those of you listening on Grace FM in Colorado as well as those listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New, New Jersey and Maryland. Welcome to the program. Well right before the break we were taking a question from Mike in Denver who had a question about blood moons and I kind of had to cut off in the middle of that because of our break, but I just wanted to wrap that up real quick and finish asking about it. You know, Mike was asking, you know, what exactly is the deal that people sometimes talk about blood moons? What, what is it? What does it mean? And I uh, quoted some Bible verses there for, uh, for Mike about um, those blood moons from Revelation chapter 6 and uh, Joel chapter 2. Mike, are you still there on the phone with me? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, so here's here's what happened in 2015 that there was a there was a series of blood moons, and the theory was that when a lot of blood moons appear, it's going to correlate with uh, some major world events. You know, Joel refers to the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord for the Old Testament prophets meant a day in which something significant will happen. Usually. It was a day of God's judgment. So it wasn't uh, so much a day of salvation as it was a day of judgment. And so when Joel's speaking about that, he's saying a day of judgment. So a lot of people have thought, you know, the day of the Lord, well, it could refer to a time of God bringing judgment upon the earth or a significant event. As I mentioned, that in, it happened in the past in 1967, 1948, with major events in Israel. Well, one of the big theories uh, in 2015 was that with all these blood moons happening, that it was going to correlate with some great event, let's say, in the eschatological timeline, meaning like the end times events. Some people even speculated that with all these blood moons happening in 2015 that we were going to see the return of Jesus, which we did not. And so uh, this is just one of those things where it was a theory, and it's great to have theories, and it's great to search the scriptures and try to put the pieces of the puzzle together. But uh, as much as we do that, that Jesus' words still remain true, that the day and the hour of his coming, no one knows. And so um, 
that's what's going on with the blood moons. Something interesting to keep an eye on. There's some interesting prophecies about it in the in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, and it's great to speculate on, but it can never really be more than just speculation until we, we see the, the reality come true. Gotcha. Because I had never really seen anything in the Bible that I thought connected with it. I, I did remember the what you read from Joel there and the Revelation. I thought, well, it's kind of kind of a stretch to connect it. That's the little bit that I'd heard. But I was just curious. So appreciate your yeah. time. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the call. God bless you. Okay. Let's go to Kelly on line one in Longmont. Hi, Kelly, you're on the air. Hi, I was um, wondering how come the Grace FM uses so many different versions of the Bible. Well, um, the reason they use so many different versions of the Bible is because there's, uh, let's put it this way. The Bible doesn't change, but the English language changes over time. And so there have been uh, different, you know, attempts over time. And even even if there's been a really good translation, the English language changes over time. And so different. There's a lot of different translations out there, and and most of them are really good. There's, uh, and, you know, if you do a little bit of research online, you can find kind of a, a spectrum of different uh, Bible translations that are really good. Um, you know, I've just been told by a station manager that Grace FM does not use uh, a lot of different versions of the Bible. I'm pretty sure that the one that they use is the New King James Version. That's pretty uh -huh. standard. Uh, a lot of churches use that. It's a really good translation. Uh, you know, in um, Longmont at our church, we, we tend to use the ESV version sometimes, uh -huh. um, you know, it's just simply because... Uh, of where it falls on that translation uh, spectrum going from word-by-word -word translating or translating an idea. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, I just feel like the translations of the Bible aren't exactly translating a lot of certain things, like when they replace the word Son of God with Servant of God. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just wondering if I believe the... The Bible is the Word of God, so I just was wondering why we needed so many different words of God, because the translations have came out, so many of them, the past 50 years, and I just was curious why they, we needed so many. Why can't we just trust trust one? Well, let's put it this way. the words we do are trust... different in different yeah. Bibles. Right, but here, here's the thing. But that they replace words run. completely and take words out. Well, here's the thing I'd want to remind you of is that there is one Bible that we go off of, and these are the the, the Greek and the Hebrew manuscripts. Uh, now, you know, if you if you speak another language or you you've um, like, for example, I I I speak another language. I speak Hungarian as a as a you know, second language, and I could tell you I've actually worked as a translator, and one of the difficult things is there there might be more than one way. Like, for example, uh, a really well-known example of this is how in Greek there are four or five words for love, but in English we really only have one. And so in that sense, the English language is poorer than the Greek language, but there might also be times when there are um, there are there's one Greek word, but there might be different ways to translate that in English, and each of those different ways is going to have a little bit different flavor and a little bit different angle. 
Yeah. So, I was just I was more looking at the most important parts, like how in the New King James Version they replace they do replace the word son of God with servant of God of talking about Jesus or they replace um when people knelt down to worship Jesus. Um, it says that they worshiped him. Well, in the newer standards of Bible, they replace the word worship with kneeling down. Mm-hmm. And they take out the word Godhead, and sodomites is take out, t- taken out a lot in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Well, I don't know what's behind the motives of different translators. Only they can speak to them. I'll tell you this, that, you know, it sounds like you've already done a little bit of this, but what you can do is there are tons of great resources online. I'll tell you one that I recommend is the Blue Letter Bible. It's a great online resource where you can also check, you know, say you take a verse of the Bible, you can go and you can look at what that verse says in the original language and what those specific words mean using a Greek lexicon or a Hebrew lexicon. And, uh, and you can do that research yourself. So, uh, all of the best attempts we have at translating, our translations are not divinely inspired. It's the Word of God in its original form that's divinely inspired. So I would encourage you to do that. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay. Thanks for the call. God bless you. All right. All right bye-bye. Okay. We've got three open lines right now. This is Calvary Live, the show where you can call in with your questions, with your uh, Bible questions from have come up in your reading, or with your prayer requests. The number to call is 303-690-3000. The number to text in your questions is 720-336-0897. We have a uh, prayer request that was texted in. Prayer request simply says, please pray for my sister Elaine. She's experiencing health issues. So let's go ahead and do that now. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we ask that uh, we, we pray for this sister Elaine. And we ask that you would heal her. Whatever these health issues are, Lord, you know intimately what's going on in her life. And we pray for Elaine that she would know you. And she would know the healing power of, uh, of Jesus. And Lord, that you would touch her life and heal her. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I had a, another question that was that came to me um, from a man named Peter in Johnstown, who sometimes listens to the program, but he told me he hasn't been brave enough to call in. But he did tell me what his question was. He was visiting Whitefields a couple weeks ago and told me about his question. So while we're waiting for those lines to fill up, I'd like to go ahead and answer Peter's question. The number to call, by the way, we've got open lines right now, is 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. I am Nick Cady, pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, here taking your calls and answering your texts today. Well, the, the question that came in to me from Peter was this. He said, in Genesis chapter 3, it says that Adam and Eve were deceived by a serpent, and he says, I was always taught that the serpent was Satan, but the text of Genesis 3 never actually says that the serpent is Satan. It only calls him the serpent. So how do we know if the serpent was Satan or maybe it was a demon of some kind rather than actually Satan himself? And that I uh, was able to do a little bit of research on this and, and come up with the, the good answer. And here's what it is, is that it's true that the book of Genesis 
does not mention the name or the title Satan or Lucifer at that point, nor does it specifically say that Lucifer or any demonic being controlled the serpent in the Garden of Eden. But we can know who this serpent was from the context of the story and from other passages in the Bible. So Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 13 is a passage where Ezekiel is talking about Lucifer, which is Satan's name, which by the way means light, um, because he was an angel, one of the higher ranking angels we're told in the Bible. Now obviously uh, this was his name when he was still an angel, but being an angel that tells us that he was a created being, so that's an important thing to keep in mind regarding who Satan is, and that he he was named Lucifer before he was cast out of heaven. That's what Ezekiel 28:13 tells us. And it says that he, this Lucifer, before he was cast out of heaven, or I'm sorry, after he was cast out of heaven, that he was in Eden, which is the garden of God. So there we're told that Lucifer was present in Eden, in the garden of, of God. Second point here is this, that in the book of Revelation, Satan is called the serpent three times. Three times Satan is called the serpent. Once in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, another time in Revelation 12, 15, and a third time in Revelation chapter 20, verse 2. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says that Satan is, it calls him, quote, the serpent of old that was punished or cast out, and that he presently deceives the whole world. Then later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul says that Eve was beguiled by the serpent. So when it talks about the story of how Eve sinned, uh, that she was beguiled or fooled by the serpent, and he says that uh, we should be careful, Paul says there, we should be careful um, lest our minds would be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So clearly there's a correlation there between the serpent and Satan that Paul is implying. Furthermore, in Genesis chapter 3, we understand that the serpent is Satan uh, because of the context. Because it says there, it says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And then he goes on and says that, the seed of the woman, which, by the way, is a very interesting phrase. We usually hear of the seed of a man, but here we are told the seed of a woman, that this one who will come, the seed of a woman, which we know, of course, is Jesus, he will bruise, or you shall bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And so Christians historically have always understood this to be a prophecy about the Messiah, the Messiah who would come and be the Savior of the world. Because Satan did bruise Jesus' heel, so to speak, by moving men to crucify him and to beat him. But it was only a temporary wound because Jesus rose from the dead. The same, uh, by the same act by which Satan thought that he had defeated Jesus, that was the very act by which Jesus actually destroyed the power of Satan and Jesus' resurrection was the proof and the seal of that victory. And, uh, and one day the full results of that victory will be realized, that Satan's head will ultimately be crushed. It says in Revelation chapter 20 that he will be cast into the lake of fire. So um, this prediction of enmity between the seed of the woman and the serpent um, makes sense when we understand it in light of Jesus and we take all these verses so Ezekiel chapter 28 and, uh, and Revelation 12 
and Revelation 20 and 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 11 all into order. So that's the answer to that question uh, from Peter in Johnstown, which was asking, uh, it says that Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent. We're always taught that the serpent is Satan, but the text doesn't actually say that he's Satan. And the answer is that if you put all the pieces together from the other verses in the Bible, it's very clear that the serpent is indeed Satan. This is Calvary Live, the show where you can call or text in your questions uh, from your Bible reading or your prayer requests, and you can get answers from a pastor. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I am pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I'm here today taking your calls and texts on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000, and the number to text is 720-336-0897. Nine seven. Let's go to Marie on line one. Marie in Thornton. Hi, Marie. Hi. Um, I wasn't going to call in, but I heard about the versions, and I've always had this question about versions. Um, mm -hmm. I'm driving right now, so I can't really look the scripture up, but I can paraphrase. Um, I only use um, right now. I I have other versions, but I like the living. Uh, the, not the New Living, just the Living, and then the King James. And the reason I ha I bought myself a NIV, and if you look at Matthew seventeen twenty one, mm -hmm. they okay. completely take that verse out. And in a lot of the ones that say New in front of it, New Living, New King James, New whatever, they completely it goes from verse twenty to verse twenty two. Mm -hmm. uh, really respect you guys. I, I don't go to one of your churches, but I listen to you on the radio a lot when I drive. I commute a lot. And I always enjoy your teachings because they're really solid and a lot of good. I have got ministered to a lot by your uh, radio, so I thought, well, maybe you guys have some insight. Maybe you don't, but um, who would just take a verse out of the Bible completely out? Matthew seventeen twenty one. it is. Yeah, sure. And um, the thing to understand about this is that no one here is trying to be nefarious. There's no, um, you know, there's no big conspiracy here as to people trying to take verses out of the Bible because they find them uncomfortable or they, they don't like them. What's going on is that they're using different manuscripts. And so you have really two main sets of manuscripts when it comes to the Bible. And um, you have the authorized, the authorized text and you have the revised text. And so... I'm sorry, the received text and the authorized text. Okay, and so here's, here's the thing. One of them are the oldest manuscripts, and the other one is the majority manuscripts. And this is really a, a kind of an ongoing debate, and, and it's, it's very much ongoing uh, amongst Bible scholars and Bible translators and amongst Christians uh, themselves who read the Bible. And the question is, uh, which set of manuscripts... Uh, is more reliable? Are they reliable? Should we go with the oldest manuscripts or should we go with the majority manuscripts? Some of these um, translations, so for example, like the King James and the, um, yeah, let's say the King James is a great example. King James is going with the majority, whereas translations, let's say like the ESV, the NIV, the New Living Translation, are going with the oldest manuscripts. And so a lot of the oldest manuscripts um, don't have certain verses in them. The reason they don't have certain verses in them, some would argue, is because those verses were never um, 
were never included in the first place, but they were added in later on, almost like commentary from people who were, you know, making um, handwriting copies of the, the, the Bible and making copies of them. They were very meticulous in the way they did it so that we haven't lost much. And that's very much in thanks to the Jewish culture, which very much cared about being exact. But where there are certain texts that are not found in the oldest manuscripts, some uh, Bible translations have left them out, but they will put them in in the footnotes. So I would encourage you to go back to your Bible and look in the footnotes because they're almost always there. Like, for example, right now in front of me, I have an English Standard Version, ESV, and where it says there in Matthew chapter 17, it goes from verse 20, and then you're right, verse 21 is left out, and here's but there's a footnote, and it says this, uh, some manuscripts include the word remained, and some manuscripts insert verse 21, which says, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Yeah, yeah and so, verse, yes, right? oh, it is important. I'll give you a, a really good example of an important verse that's sometimes uh, left out in some of the manuscripts, and that's John chapter 8, the very first part where we read about the woman who was caught in adultery. And so, so here's what these people are doing. They're not trying to leave out Bible verses because they don't think they're important or they think that they're, uh, I don't know, that they, they don't like them, that they're uncomfortable. What's happening is that these people are trying to be as true as they possibly can to the Word of God. And so if, if there are verses that don't appear in some manuscripts, they don't want to include them. And if they do appear in later manuscripts, a lot of the time the thought is uh, that they were added by people as uh, kind of a commentary, but that they weren't intended to be part of the original text. In fact, that's true even of the um, New King James Version or the King James Version. You'll find that sometimes verses are put in brackets or they'll put um, sometimes in italics. And the reason why they do that is to indicate that those verses are not found in the oldest manuscripts. And so really what these people are trying to do, and I want you to give them the benefit of doubt a little bit, is that they're trying to be as faithful and true to the Word of God as they possibly can. And so uh, there, there's a ton of research that's been done on this, a ton of writing, and I would encourage you to, uh, to Google something like Bible Translation Guide. And, uh, and don't be scared away also by the word new, because, uh, you know, I kind of heard you say in there for a second that, you know, new international version, or let's say new uh, American Standard or new living translation, that just by the fact that they were new, that they were kind of changing things. That's not uh, necessarily the case. More of the time, like, for example, um, a new international version, that's just a, it was a new version in the 1970s that they tried to create uh, to be, you know, because people are speaking English in places like Hong Kong and uh, around the world, and they wanted to create an English that was kind of modern and comprehensible. And again, the point that I made to the previous caller is, it's not that the Bible's changed, it's that our English language has changed over time. We don't speak like Shakespeare spoke, and, uh, and it's really hard for us to read the Bible in the way that Shakespeare spoke. And so um, what we want to do is faithfully translate the scriptures into the way that we talk nowadays without losing anything. And I think that is possible, but it is kind of like trying to shoot, a, shoot at a moving target. You know, once you've created a version, then the, the English language continues to change. Now, I will add this. There are some translations which I do think go too far in um, trying to bring it up to date. 
where they are no longer just trying to translate the words into modern English, but they're actually going so far as to what we would say interpret those words according to today's culture. Like, for example, where they'll try to blur lines between genders. You know, I know of one translation where they don't like using the word he for God because they say, well, that some people might be offended by that. The fact is that we cannot take away the offense of the gospel or the Bible if it's an offense that God put there. So um, in those senses, we don't want to ever change the word of God uh, we want to do what we want to do with translation is to make it comprehensible to people today. Yeah. So okay, anyway. Well, thanks for your input. I, yeah. It still bothers me, but okay, I I guess you made a point. Um, well, well, here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to read the the King James version or the New King James version, and keep oh, an eye out. Yeah. For, yeah. And keep an eye out for those parts of the Bible that are in brackets or in italics, and uh, and learn what that means. Yeah, maybe I'll get one and look at it. <laughs> okay. Well, thank I you for your call. I away, but I guess I could pull it back out. I don't know. Well, I'm encouraging but... you to read the New King James in this sense. Um, uh, I think... Yeah. I think I'm losing you. Okay. Well, I was encouraging you to read the New King James. Well, thank you for your call, Marie. God bless yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. God bless Let's go ahead to uh, Debbie. We've got a call from Baltimore. Debbie is online too. Hi, Debbie. Hi. Are you there? Hi. Um, Hi. I, I heard, I listen to you guys all the time. Uh, I'm, I love it. And thank you very much for what you do. Um, I was listening, so I'm listening to last week's, and I heard this guy, Bill, mention The Bachelor. That's why I'm calling. And he didn't know. He said he had never really, he had, he had heard of him and he, how he um, is speaking of Revelation. And the pastor last week said he wasn't familiar with Doug Batchelor. Well, here's my question. I was passed on a DVD um, from Doug Batchelor um, from his um, Revelation series, and it's called The Bride, the Beast, and Babylon. And I've watched it. The, late, the girl who turned me on to it is a Seventh-day Adventist. Okay. I think that's what the bachelor may be. I'm not sure. But that leads me to my question of, is Seventh-day Adventist a cult? Yeah, so that's because a... Because I that's... have been studying some and the pa with them. And mm -hmm. the pastor there is that pastor, is not Doug Bachelor. He's really, really nice, young guy, good pastor. He does teach from the Bible, but... The, revel the revelation, the prophecy, I did a Bible prophecy seminar with him, mm -hmm. and I learned so much. And I just have such a passion for studying the Bible, and I've been going there to learn. But I'm not convinced. Like, I, I was raised Catholic, so I, I'm not really convinced. I, I don't know if there are cults. I don't know. It yeah. seems to me that they, they teach Bible prophecy a lot. That's their thing. But um, I think their teaching is a little off. Yeah, so here's what I would tell you about them. I wouldn't go, I don't, I don't know. So let's, let's get away from the, the, the word cult. You know, are they a cult or are they not? How about I just tell you what their doctrine is and where it diverges from what I believe is biblical Christianity. Okay. Uh, and a lot of things 
they're they're right on and you're absolutely right that they do love um they love to talk about old to, or you know bible prophecy that's their that's kind of their big thing so uh they've been around for over 100 years uh they were started by a woman i can't remember her name off the top of my head but here's LNG here was kind of, white lng white thank you here was their <laughs> big thing and their big claim was that when they got when they were reading revelation and the 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 Bible prophecy stuff, they would say, well, you know, they take the Sabbath day and they say, you know what the mark of the beast is? The mark of the beast is people who worship God on Sunday. And so Absolutely. if you worship God, yep. yeah, so if you worship God on Sunday, you've taken the mark of the beast. And then their question, you know, they, they would take that to its logical conclusion and say, well, if you've taken the mark of the beast, well, then you can't be saved. And so I would say this, I think they have a very big misunderstanding of the the significance of the Sabbath day. We're going to end the show here in just one minute, and so I'm going to have to wrap this up. But here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 4, where it talks about the Sabbath. And remember that the whole point of the book of Hebrews is to show us how everything is wrapped up in Jesus and how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament law and Old Testament religion. And what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 is that Jesus is our true Sabbath. Therefore, we are no longer under obligation. We are not made justified by keeping the Sabbath or by doing any other thing because we have been justified in Christ and he himself is our Sabbath. Thank you so much for your call. God bless Thank you. This you. has been Pastor Nick Cady at Cal with Calvary Live, Whitefields Community Church. And uh, thank you for listening today. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Calvary Live. Be sure to tell a friend about Grace FM.